0: Hello and welcome to the Sea of Startups, where we dive into the stories behind the startups in Southeast Asia. I'm your host, Kevin Rocklin, Managing Partner of Indelible Ventures. Now, if you're a founder or funder looking to learn more about what drives the startups in Southeast Asia, this podcast is for you. We're about to sit down with founders to uncover the unique insights into the origins and motivations behind launching their startups. We'll uncover the stories behind the struggles, the ups, the downs guided from the view of an entrepreneur. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's show. Right. We've got a special episode this week where we have paired up with Founder Institute Malaysia in conjunction with the relaunch of the chapter and the opening of the cohort for applications. Today, we're going to bring you a special edition where we ended up hosting Eric. Chang, the co-founder of Carsum, to talk about what it takes to build Malaysia's first and only unicorn and building a global business. This is a fantastic edition. As I said, it's paired up with Founder Institute Malaysia. If you or anyone that you know is an aspiring entrepreneur that's looking at get going, please check out Founder Institute Malaysia at fi.co and apply to the upcoming cohort. So I want to jump in now. I want to introduce Eric Chang. I'm very, very happy to have him. Everybody within Malaysia and outside, I'm sure, has heard of Carsom and heard of Eric Chang, but may not know the story behind getting that success. So as you know, Eric is the co-founder of Carsum. So Eric, I want to thank you very much for being here with us today. Uh, and I'm eager to hear some of the story behind uh carson hey
1: Kevin hi uh my pleasure to be here and hi everyone um good evening Um am happy to share as much as possible um in the next like 40 45 minutes yeah
0: very cool very cool so you know, as 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 most people who know me and the most people that that have listened to, to me we having conversations with entrepreneurs know that I always want to start with kind of the origin story. So t- take me back. How did you end up becoming an entrepreneur in the first place? Uh, and then how did that pathway lead to you launching Carsome?
1: Sure, sure. Yeah. So um, I think that the story goes with, you know, Custom is not actually the first company I've started. Um, before that, I tried my hands on um, probably three different ventures. Um, and the first one go way back to when I was still studying um, and I was um, interested to pursue a business where um, eventually we landed on the idea to start a uh, offline magazine that goes distribute around to the neighborhood um, to share you the latest informations, promotions, um, on, on your, you know, neighboring restaurants, launches, and so on and so on. Um, that didn't, went, didn't go on very well, I suppose. Uh, it was, uh, live for a few months and we shut it down, but it was my first taste of, uh, being an entrepreneur. Um, and then subsequently I went on to, you know, um, started getting my first job, um, eventually, um, acquire a lot more learnings and experience. Um, and that's where I started to have the idea to also uh, pursue uh, again, to be an entrepreneur, start my new venture. Um, and the second one was a, uh, um, a digital ad network, um, which, which remodeled the, the things that I have done in uh, my work uh, with the previous firm. Um, went on to launch a ad network that um, consolidated ad inventories across the world, uh, both with local IP, local traffics, um and uh, that company was launched for a year and eventually I sold it off um very quickly so um it was you know considered a successful one and then I went into the third one which is a mobile game studio uh it was a time where I was booming and I myself like game gaming a lot um and I thought that you know could could follow my passion and do something that I really like um but turns out I, I'm good at playing games but less on creating games <laughs> so uh it that so, yeah, um, created two games and didn't, didn't really go on to think about the third game. Um, and I think collectively all of this experience kind of give me, um, some, uh, learnings, especially when it comes to starting a company, finding the product market fit, um, and thinking about how to scale with your, your initial team. Right. So, um, so that entrepreneur spirit never go away. It always stays in my mind. So even, you know, three times trying is and, you know, still get to find, um, you know a charm so which eventually the fourth which is custom um we started that in 2015 um, and it was the idea was discussed back in 2014 even myself and my co-founder jt um, so both of us were ex-collect in the, our previous firm and we were discussing about opportunity to start a business um, and we wanted it to be this time around um, disruptive in a sense where it helps solve a problem that we see in the market um, but more importantly is the market is being you know waiting or dying for the disruption they wanted things to change uh, and they're frustrated with you know how things are being um run in the past and uh, we wanted that to be the sticky point on the next company if you're going to create it has to be something that tackling real pain points that um the people or the customer or the users would face um, and we thought about a couple of opportunities of course right and that's how we eventually land on Carson um originated from a lot of the personal experience from our friends and families. Uh, we heard a lot of horror stories. And we know that within the used car market it has always been lacking trust, lacking transparency. Um, and people are just afraid to go into that, uh, go into the unknown. Um, and, and we we basically do more research on that idea to see how we can provide a sound solution. Um, and of course, as technology as we know it, has always been the one that's able to provide transparency, um, provides more of a seamless way of doing things. Um, and we thought that would be the way we want to uh, shape custom future to be. Um, and of course, from there on, once we found the product market, things start to fly and you know, we become where we become now.
0: Okay. Very, very interesting. So in the early days when you're getting ready to launch, um, did you learn any main lessons from the prior uh, companies that you that you were at were there, were there any uh, sort of like lessons learned to like overcome those those initial hurdles in the in the initial launch phase
1: yeah yeah um definitely right because if if i you know recall how i i went on to start the first three companies um compared to Carson, i think the main learning that we have or uh, myself especially gotten is um, you can't just start based on an idea. It starts with an idea, but it has more steps to, to, to consider before you go on to shape it into uh, a business or a product, rather. Um, and I think that was important lesson that we learned, um, in the process of, you know, starting a few companies and then, um, coming to custom. We know that there is a pain point. So the idea of finding a right solution to tackle that is going to be, uh, what we would pursue. Um, but even after Knowing we have a way, um, a service or product that we can provide, um, we went on to do a lot more research more surveys to understand um, if this were to be launched and um, we interview users on you know this product, how can it help you? Would you use it? Um so we we capture a lot of um, feedbacks when it comes to um, talking to the target customers, right people who has mm-hmm. the need to buy and sell or in the previous where they have experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think those things shape into, um, 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 more of a, a, a solution where we eventually when we first launched the 1.0, um, it gets closer to the, the, the product that, you know, the customers are actually looking for. And actually, even at the, the first day when we launched the business or, or the platform, um, it took mm-hmm. us a, a few iterations before it get to a point where it starts to scale. So, um, my, my, my thought over here is I felt a lot of learnings has been captured in a sense where idea alone itself is not enough. You have to yeah. take a lot more um, uh, steps to consider the different parts of, you know, what you are offering, what is your target customers, and how you plan to scale it, um, um, and a lot of things in between, including the team itself, um, and mm-hmm. I think more importantly, the timing too. All of this combined would help you to increase the likelihood of the product finding success, which is okay. uh, a main difference when you think about that comparing to previous. Um, you know, I just launch an idea and run it very quickly, and of course, crash and good.
0: Yeah, 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 Ad- an idea is definitely not enough. It's 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 an important part of the equation, but it's the execution. So let let me let me ask you when when you when you were talking about the the kind of the customer valued validation and having conversations with people that were out there to to assess kind of this pain point and get a better understanding of it. How did you go about doing that? Was it mostly among family and friends, or did you kind of go out into a high foot traffic area? How did you talk to people? What was the what was the step in order to get those feedbacks?
1: Yeah, so um, so the the idea at the very beginning was because we saw there's pain points when I discussed with my co-founder that hey, when it comes to buying and selling cars, what are the things that we face, and then we realized that the entire process itself is not being um, uh, put transparent to, uh, the consumers, right? For example, if you plan to sell your car, um, with CarSum, now you get to know the price, you get to know the car condition, and you are selling at a price where it, it goes beyond, uh, your, your low, your vicinity. It goes to nationwide. Uh, but as compared to before, CarSum, um, what you encounter is how do I actually find a, how do I know how much should I sell the car? What is the, actually mm. the right price between the market mm. and, and, every single used car in the market has different condition. And that plays a huge role when it comes to assessing the car price. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one part of the equation where there's a lot of uh, information or so data points is not uh, involved um, and it's based on the experience that we, we articulate. right When we discussed, mm-hmm. we felt that um, these are the areas where it has to be um, um, shaped up to have the understanding before you make that well informed decision. And then there's also the other part where of the business, when we sell these cars, where do we sell it to? So in the initial days, when we run our uh, selling service to consumers, like if you don't want to sell a car, you sell it to us. These cars are always been sold to the dealers, the used car dealers. Mm-hmm. So equally on the dealers, they also have that um, procurement needs. They need to find an inventory to sell. So and their expertise lies in selling cars, not in finding cars. So, mm-hmm. so there lies a pain point where there wasn't a, a, a significant source of supply that they can look for cars. Um, and equally, they also have that issue, right? Like, what is actually the right price? Um, and then you, fade, you find yourself in a market where there's a lot of brokers in between taking different cuts, um, and making the selling and buying price become either selling at cheap, but buying it at a very expensive price. So, um, and the interview process starts from a point where we interview consumers on one end to try to understand like when it comes to selling, what is the most important factors that, and things that you consider um, and what would you like to see, right? If you provide a platform that helped you take away that pain uh, headache. And then on the dealer side, we ask the same question as well. Like if we provide a platform that we can solve this in this format, how would it help you? And, um, and we get very simple answers. And it's, it's very interesting because, like both sides of the, the the users would basically say the same thing, where they want the service, and if this, if your service just didn't work, uh, I would just not use it anymore. So so we find ourselves in a position where there's a lot of people uh dying to try the service, um um and they don't mind trying it, and if they use it and they like it, they start to become sticky to the platform. Even though, like, for sellers, it can be, you know, selling after a few years, but they start to mention it to friends, the families about, mm-hmm. you know, you know, the feel good factor and all. And likewise for dealers, they start to use us as a procurement platform. Um, and so those interviews help a lot in shipping the end product, uh, in the mm-hmm. platform. How do we run the, uh, end to end, uh, and bridging the gap?
0: Okay, so there's this variable in it that you that you had mentioned in regards to some transparency around the pricing of what do I sell the car at uh, for the dealer? What should I be buying at at, at the at the price at and then reselling it at? So I, I I am curious when you come in and are looking to to provide a solution for this space. Do, you, do, do either you or your co-founder have like a car background where, where, you, where you kind of had some understanding of the pricing? And if not, how did you guys come up with a way in order to help that pricing decision and create transparency around it?
1: Yeah, so we don't, right? So both, both of our background, came, we came from an advertising industry. So we have marketing mm. knowledge, digital uh, acquisition knowledge, and so on, but less on anything automotive. Um, but I think that is a blessing in disguise, um, especially when you look at the way we approach the business problem, um, uh, the problem statement, um, the business model comes in a point where we try to think from a customer standpoint and we design the business, sorry design the product um, to help um, um, uh, solve the problem, which in turn we also instill and think about how do we create a business out of you know that product. Um, So very little about automotive knowledge in that process, apart from some areas where we require, like for example, the inspection knowledge, how to check a car. So we we then hire, of course, uh, people who know and have that domain expertise, um, but shape it into a format where it becomes easy and user-friendly so that both sides, whether it's the the clients like the dealers or even the consumers when they use a platform, um, what all they seek for is that service that you provide to them. Um, and what we are trying to achieve is to, pre- to prepare a platform to be able to provide a service while areas where we need that, um, domain expertise. Like, for example, inspection knowledge, we get it from the automotive talent. It, I don't know how to code. So when it comes to coding, um, you know, building the platform, you know, we, we have, uh, the, the tech talent engineers to help us to develop it. So, and so on, right? So this is how we basically shape up, right? But. All of these talents as they um, come on board and, and, and do things that uh, we are doing in custom, one thing you'll find in common is the, the problem statement and where the business direction is going is very clear. Like we want to solve the customer problem when it comes to selling and buying, these are the products, how do we make it better? And then we start going into details, right? So there's never a point where, you know, I do not know what I'm doing. Um even though I might not be good at say inspection or coding or marketing, but um the mission remains the same, which makes the team work together a lot more uh seamlessly
0: okay and then you're 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 able to identify some of your gaps so you can you can look at it and say okay, I need tech talent in order to help me build something in order to address this 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 gap in 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 what we're trying to get because if you have the clear vision on where it's going it's a matter of getting the resources around you to help you build towards that. Am I understanding that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like for, I'll give you an example, right? I still remember the first day when we launched our platform to the dealers and we had a lot of cars going in, actually not that many cars. Um, mm. and, but the first sessions of the auction where we run into the dealers, we uh, we received like maybe like 30 offers, uh, for cars and, you know, it's it's not a huge number right but we we, we get so excited but mm-hmm. uh very quickly the number from 30 jump to like 100 in the next day and then more in the next couple of weeks right so then that's when you realize that you we need more um, scalable infrastructures to back up that uh activity that's going on because all of mm-hmm. this happened in real time um yeah. <laughs> the back of it this is just one way to facilitate there's also a lot of other things like the payment the transactions and all so things all tie together uh which is where you kind of basically assess right oh we need more engineers who have this kind of understanding to do Mm -hmm. these things um and that's how we we went on to hire
0: okay and as as you build like from this from the starting point were you doing the inspection from, from the beginning or is that something that you rolled out later on in, in, in developing the business
1: um, so we yeah so at the beginning we don't when we start doing the uh, um, um, trial run for the service um, mm-hmm. so after a while we need we, we know that we needed it to be on um, a full-time basis right like people internally doing the inspection because um, we find that quality control is going to be very important like what if mm-hmm. the inspection you know inspected it wrongly uh and, and you know we will fall into the positions that we are misreporting right uh the the car condition so um so very quickly once we know that this is a essential um a skill set that's needed within the organization we went on to build up a team um and and was led by people who have you know done that um in a similar space um and i think over time, that things develop into you know using technology to accompany with how inspections being run, um, using especially for example, right now we use um, image recognition for some of the things that we we do for mm-hmm. uh, the um, um, car inspection, and then at the same time we pr- we have the inspection applications that allow the uploading of the data points and the pictures taking to be a lot more quicker as compared okay. to do it on a manual basis. So yeah, these things come into the picture as we continue to develop and understand more, but it's it's not there in the first place. Only after we start to improve, develop and understand, then we went on to uh, try to improve uh, and scale it up
0: okay and how how do you develop kind of those feedback loops in order to in order to understand so where so where you're gathering the information from the market you see it so you see and how people are interacting so that you can kind of look at it and say okay well this is scaling up we do need you know this vision technology or those those sort of aspects how do you how do you build the culture into your your team to be responsive and attentive to those details
1: yeah, I think mm, at the end of the day, it, it always has to start with a problem statement, um, like what we are trying to solve, um, and I think not trying to just throw in tech jargons to try to make the solutions to be very innovative, um, but rather finding sound solution by applying some of this technology within the the, the process, so that we can do things better and more efficiently. Um, so that's where we, we would start by always stating the, the the problem statement that we're trying to solve. Um, what is the end outcome we try to achieve? Um, and what's the, what's, what are the solutions and what are the alternatives that we can consider and explore before we go on to, you know, start developing it. So that is like the whole, um, you know, PRD, right? Like how you develop products, gather the requirements, we really understand. Um, and it cannot be done and just by one single department it has to be done in in cross-functional team right like business team mm-hmm. has to be involved product team has to be involved um the engineers have to understand also what they going to develop and what kind of time frame because that is also going to be playing a very important role so if you develop it um you know taking longer time than you should does that really still make sense after when they launch um and and there's a lot of things that we we consider but it has to always start with what is the problem that we're trying to solve and using that to uh you know find a, a way to solve with a product uh which like just like earlier right you never run out of problems to solve
0: <laughs> how when, when you when you look at it as an organization uh, that that kind of problem statement how has that evolved? Is, is is it something that's a bit of a moving target or is, does it just kind of break down into smaller problems as you, as you evolve?
1: Yeah. I think the business has grown so much, right? Like, uh, the, so far I only have been talking about one side of the business, but you know, since then, like we've been around, like this is the eighth year. Um, we, we actually have like eight companies within our ecosystem. So call the core being, you know, buying and selling, you know, from, uh, Starting point where we help people to sell car, we also extend to buying now in the last two years, um, and that has been you know really driving force of our revenue, uh, which is like about more than thirty percent of the total revenue so far. Um, we have like you know carlys that does car listing. We have uh, automotive content provider for Car. We also have our own financing arm that does financing and insurance, and mm-hmm. we just launched our after sales. Right, so um, I think a lot of this. T- we we take step by step to go to to achieve you know and think about what's the next thing we want to offer to complement the ecosystem and a lot of it also involves not just um product what kind of product to be offered in that but at the same time um um um, what kind of team what kind of services to be included um how do we overlap it and create synergies in between like if you talk about buying and selling cars uh Mm -hmm. there are about 60 70 percent of people who would at the same time, buy a car and trade in your old one. So there's mm-hmm. there's two activities that happen in uh, at the same time, and ninety percent of the people get financing when it comes to financing uh, buying a car. So mm-hmm. able when when you think about how we proceed with the product, of course, in the very beginning is very, you know, directionally just one thing we try to do, um, and we do that well. But as things develop, when we have so many companies now, so many different platforms and services we started to, we started to find ourselves to have different product teams uh, with different goals uh, respectively, but also with one single common goal to plan all of this together as a shared mm-hmm. services across all, which um, things get of course a lot more complicated and more discussions involved and all. So hence like the the whole cross-functional discussions has to be really uh, fluid uh, in order to achieve that. Um but I think we benefited from us not having all eight services at one go, but adding on one by one by one, uh which makes it you know slightly easier for us to navigate and execute. So and in that mm-hmm. sense, that's how we run the product, right? Where we 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 stitch it one by one, but not just over stressing ourselves and doing everything yeah. in the first year.
0: So let, let, let me, let me ask you on that, because I think, I think that's a point that a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with because there's the, there's this tendency mm-hmm. to want to offer a lot of solutions and kind of stack things together. Start with the all in one, uh, whereas, you know, you, what you're, what you're talking about is kind of the staging, add one more, add one more, add one more. So when you are making that decision, so like if you flash back to the first time that you added another, another line. Uh, what, how do you make the decision? Am I ready to launch another product line? Am I at the stage to where I can extend myself and be able to accomplish this? And if and as well, oftentimes there's multiple options of what you could do if you are going to add one on. So then, how do you how do you decide? T- take me through some of the logic and how you approach that.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, so I think. In many ways, like in Carson, um, our DNA is we are always very data driven. Um, and, and I think it starts from the very first year, right? So take for example, if you ask me at the very beginning, um, um, have we thought about creating an ecosystem like how you see Custom today? Um, actually, we, we did dream of having this already, um, maybe not in a similar manner, uh, but a lot of the components that we have today um, has been the things that we want to pursue. Um, but at that point in time, we didn't really go on to do everything, but we start off with the selling service simply because we we know that used car market has been very uh, lacking in transparency Sim- uh, uh, because of one biggest issue with no data points available in the market. Like no one knows what's the car price, there's no car historical record, so you don't know the condition and so on. Um, so it makes it hard, right? And we, we find, we, we know that that is a problem that exists, which what is the, what what is there a way for us to actually obtain the informations? Um, and then we realize that, yes, we can go on to start doing a buying service or selling cars to consumers, but we can choose to also do this selling so that it can give us that momentum um, and start to gather the understanding on not just inspection, uh, the know-how, but also start providing us the data points, on the pricing and even the supply and demand in every different cities uh, and different model so um, we took it in a very step-by-step manner where from day one yes there's a goal that we want to get to we want to become the largest uh, multinational uh, a big ecosystem that do buy sell finance insurance and everything but it it has to start off with a cell because that gives us that technical knowledge um the data um and in turn when we build the numbers we have the uh infrastructure to support and that's something that we can extend when we launch uh the car buying service uh, because we mm-hmm. already know how to check a car, which means we know how to recondition and where to recondition um we know the prices pretty well um so we know what kind of price to acquire and what should we sell it for um and you know that technology that we have behind also a lot of it has an overlap to the the the, the, the buying business um so with the data, with the infrastructures um, and with the numbers, the supply in the market uh, that we now have, uh, the last thing is just really the team for us to, you know, uh, build us the way to, to get to that. Um, and that's what we have done over the years is to um, have this envision that this is where we're going to get to, but we need to first get the first part right and then move on to the second one once this part is stable, because uh, we want to make sure also that, you know, it will not backfire and then we have to fall back to the first one. Um, So we always build on a foundation where we can continue to leverage that to build the next phase, the next phase, the next phase, Uh, which is interesting, right? Because I feel that this is an approach where um, you have big dreams, but you start small and you take really good steps to understand what kind of scenarios you're trying to map for your team and your business. Um, Utilizing that to also understand if let's say this scenario, when you execute, it doesn't work out very well for you. You can almost quickly um have another backup plan prepared to to mm-hmm. to to fall back on which you know i feel i find very useful and helpful
0: okay uh, that that kind of sounds reminiscent of the the i think it's uh, like the bezos quote of doors that you could uh, that are one way versus ones that you can come that are revolving to where having the backup plan if something doesn't go your it go your direction having having that kind of the uh that plan yeah Yep.
1: yeah yeah yeah, I think especially true because um, without that, I think we will not survive the pandemic. And I mm-hmm. think where we are right now, the market is also we are facing a um, valuation correction, right? For for yeah. uh, companies, um, you, you need to be able to anticipate and understand that you know with different plans, um, how do you think about which is the right plan for the right moment?
0: Sure, sure. So let let me, let me ask you as well. At, at what point did you pursue the first international expansion? At what point did you go outside of the borders?
1: Oh, very quickly. Uh, the second year in business, we went on to expand, um, okay. and uh, so 2015 was the year we we started in Malaysia. In the 16, mm-hmm. we went to Singapore, um, and about towards the tail end of that to 17, we expanded into Indonesia and Thailand as well. Um, and I think the idea is very simple, like when we build this company, we know that the problem statement that we are trying to solve with our solutions um, is very similar to the country that the spoke of, maybe barring Singapore, but in mm-hmm. Indonesia and Thailand is very similar. Um, and because of the opportunity for us to be able to do this in uh, other countries, I think that would be something we want to pursue. And it also provide a lot more upside for the company when it comes to the potential, when it comes to uh, the market size valuation. So, sure. um, so that was what we have decided to do almost very quickly.
0: Okay. So, so when entering a new market, I mean, there, there's, there's oftentimes this aspect that when you're in your domestic market, the pathway to customer one, two, and three may be a little bit more straightforward because they're oftentimes close by, but when you enter into a new market, how do you get those initial customers? What's, what's the, what's the pathway? What's, what was your strategy?
1: So, um, what I believe is, you know, when you're operating in Southeast Asia, especially, you know, if you're an entrepreneur from Malaysia, um, you'll find that Indonesia and Thailand has very similar market dynamic. Um, yes, there's different culture, um, a slight difference in terms of language, maybe, uh, but at the same time, also, uh, even like income level and all is is quite different as well. But you, you still observe towards certain extent. Most of the things that you develop in Malaysia, if you do it well over here, you can actually replicate it very quickly in other countries, uh, with a few localization, uh, in your product, your tech, your marketing. So mm-hmm. especially at the very beginning, um, um, I think with the benefit of operating in Malaysia, we, we, we have an operating playbook that we can replicate to other countries. So we know how to set up a team. Uh, we know what is required in the, uh, the, the, uh, um, like when it comes to acquiring users and all, how do we do that? Uh, whether it's to online and what's the right copy, uh, copywriting the message to send out? Um, what we need is, you know, the, the, uh, a local team that helps support that understanding on how to navigate some of the nuances, which, mm. you know, is, is little things that really matters, but maybe to the Malaysian eye or in the Malaysian market, it, 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 it doesn't really uh, seen as important, right? So um, I think these are the things that um, we have uh, done well when it comes to expanding is, we have managed to have that operating playbook coming from uh, a, a home market. We did it well, we proved it. Um, and when we replicate it, we can replicate the product, the tech, the team, um, but we needed uh, the, the, the understanding of the local markets. That's where we hired the, the, the leaders, the GM, and some of the teams to be onboarded to help us start expanding. Um, and very quickly, I think that would help you to acquire your first customers um, and you start to understand better to get a feedback, you know, you know how the product is being res- uh, received uh, in those markets.
0: Okay, so there, there's kind of like a Pareto principle there where 80% is kind of the standardized playbook and then you need to localize it a little bit by having that, some layers of customization in, re- in regards to the local uh, habits, customs. Wow buying behavior whatever the case may be yeah
1: yeah yeah i think especially true when you look at the market infrastructure of these few countries um a lot of industry is you know in the past five to ten years has been building that industry for the first time you know prior to this they might not even have an economy before uh on 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 those areas when you look at tech startups that have done well uh Mm -hmm. which in essence means you know a lot of the problem statements is similar across so um then it only lies in the point in how do you firstly reach out to your customers? And secondly, how do you uh, execute it well so they can start scaling?
0: Okay. Okay. So, so you went for this international expansion very, very early in uh, to, to the life cycle. So I, I am curious, as you're building it up, you're launching new products, you're expanding internationally. At what point in this journey did you say, I need external funding? At what point did you end up going to, to raise capital?
1: Yeah, so um I think when we started, start, first started the company, uh, we always know that this uh company would be a venture-backed company. We have to take that route um, in order for us to expand because um, it's a large addressable market and there's a lot of things in between for us to get to an area where we can really capture a significant market share. Um, but it takes time and it takes a lot of capital. Um And there's a lot of expansions need when it comes to doing that. We need to build our logistic infrastructures. We need to have um, uh, the manpower to uh, man the uh, uh some of the consumer-facing uh, uh centers. And then we need to have the product team, the tech team, also marketing and the budget itself to acquire users. So when you map out that that financial projection, then very quickly within the first year and second year, um, when you look at the the the, the projection, you know that uh at some point you would need the investment or a funding round to come in. Um so almost every other year I would say until more recently, I think um we always think about, you know, in order for us to unlock uh, the next milestone, we need to raise a round of funding uh, so we can pursue you know bigger goals, uh more things to be developed within the business. So um if you look at the history of custom, every year there would be a funding event. Um, mm. And that holds true, right? Um, so a lot of the, our approach has been building towards being able to unlock the next milestone, um, and to unlock the next milestone, of course, it, it comes with, uh, the back of the new funding round so that we can continue to pursue further to do more things and so on.
0: Okay. Okay. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a little bit curious and, and maybe there's not a straightforward answer, but because you've gone through a number of different funding rounds, are any of those rounds easier than the others? Is it a hardest to raise that first round? Does it get easier over time, or is it all hard?
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, mostly all hard. Mostly yeah. all hard. Um, but the the hardest and the most memorable always has been will be the the first round, uh, um, the seed round that we have raised. Okay. Um, and there's like nine months in the business where we raise our seed round. There's not a lot of money. It's only three hundred fifty thousand US dollar
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, compared to all the subsequent sort of rounds that we have raised. Right. So sure. Um, but getting that round done was extremely painful. Um, um I I was coming from a background where I have no understanding of you know uh who are the VCs to talk to, what is their contact number, how do I get to them, you know. So there wasn't a network that I have already that exists within my 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 uh phone book or network um sure. I, and I can get in touch with. So it's hard, right? Which um, I had to start from ground zero, a lot of cold calls, um, joining events, um, was fortunate to get a few introductions. Um, but I think I easily spoke to about, about close to 60 investors still yet to get to, you know, getting the round done. Um, so it was extremely difficult. And of course, the company at the point of time was running on of money. It was bootstrapped using my own money and my co-founder's money. Right. So, yeah. um, but we we're getting good traction. So yeah. just that we couldn't close the deal. But it was really, again, like fortunate. It's not no skill or whatnot, just hard work. I, I have the 60 email, uh, 60, the 60 investor that I reached out to via a cold email. Mm-hmm. Reply. We met up, uh, presented and he liked the pitch. He eventually led the round. So that was how the first round was done
0: um yeah 60 investor reach uh contacts uh, that's that's a that's a that's a pretty ex- uh, extensive amount of of list in order to go through yeah and if you uh, think
1: about 2015 if there's even 60 seed investor in the scene right <laughs> I don't think yeah so.
0: yeah and at the at that point southeast asia overall was pretty nascent uh let alone to talk about where malaysia was at as 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 well so how did you find them in the first place i mean even linkedin wasn't as penetrated into this market at this point yeah. at that point in time as well so <laughs> we
1: well, don't honestly, we didn't yeah, have yeah, all yeah. the tools of today <laughs> yeah I, I think you know just google and you know did a lot of research work you know who are the vcs who should we talk to mm. um, there was already tech in asia there was uh, i don't yeah. think there's others right uh, e27 of course um yeah. so so those sites is helpful in understanding what are names in the in the in the region yeah. Um, and again, like I was fortunate to also because of joining some of the events, uh, which is helpful, uh, to know more of the investors. Um, and in turn also they introduce other investors to me. Um, mm. but yeah, a lot of it is directly just trying to email to them, uh, which is not the best method to be honest, but I have no yeah. other channels to start off with. Yeah.
0: Sometimes you have to do what you have to do, cold emails, uh, the, you and, know, it becomes yeah. a necessity.
1: And you'll be surprised when I raise my first seed round. I don't even know how to do a unit economics for my business. <laughs> so, that's how bad I am when it comes to uh, fundraising. Yeah.
0: At that point in time, we're saying at that point in time. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So
1: uh,
0: how 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 has it how has it changed in regards to what they want to know when you when you've gone through these different fundraising rounds? I mean, when you're really early on, you don't have a whole lot of financials and other sorts of things to display because you're still new. But now that you've gone through, you know, you're eight years old, so like your last one, how has it? How has it changed in regards to what? The, what kind of questions the investors are asking and what they want to know?
1: Um, I think a lot of it depends on the stage of the company. Um, so, for example, when you're early stage, um, typically you maybe have some number to show, but it's not going to be anything very significant, right? So. I think at the at stage where you, when you're raising a seed or Series A, um, most of the time the, the pitch need to be interesting in a sense that the, the solutions that you're providing is tackling a real problem that exists in the market. Um, and how do you validate that, I think, is through um, a lot of customer feedback, a lot of uh, uh surveys towards um the market that you're operating in. Um that allows you to to you know. Uh, articulate that the, the the solution that you're providing to be something convincing and attractive. I think that's one mm-hmm. thing that's important. Um, I think the other thing that was equally important is the the, the market they operate in, whether it is is big enough to mm-hmm. to navigate. Right? And how how big can you grow? Con- just for example, if you are successful, which mm-hmm. you know ninety nine percent of the startups don't don't actually end up there. Right? So sure, it has to be. A market that is big enough to entice people to invest, right? So yeah. I think that's the second point. And I think the third is, um, you do a number to show, you are talking about your problem statement and also the solution you're providing. So the, so the team and how you yourself carry when it comes to pitching is going to be the, the, the most important factor. Um, and, and most of the time, this is where, uh, it becomes, uh, the reason why investors are investing into someone that like a sit round, right? Because of the charm or because they're very convinced towards a pitch that's done by this founder. But most of the time it's because they believe in the founder, um, believe in, in them able to execute based on what they have pitched. Um, and I think these three things combined would increase the likelihood of someone getting around done, at the, especially at the early stage. Um, but as it goes to like the series B, series C, um, the, the conversation develops uh, into numbers, into financial health, into scaling uh, ability. So um, a lot of things where is less about the founder itself, but more about the business. How do you operate the structure, and how do you build a structural approach in scaling um, while maintaining uh, 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 a good operating health? Right. So all of these things become more of the questions that's being asked rather than you know questions like the market, the the
0: the solution and so on. Sure, sure. So I guess it it has somewhat of a similarity, but I also want to kind of probe on how you bring talent on board to the company as well, because as as you progress you're obviously needing to bring on more senior talent and so forth but in the early days when you don't have a whole lot of traction and you still need to find engineers to help you build the product and all of these sort of enabling factors to even get to that first milestone how was it in those very early days and how did how did you manage to convince people to like come on board with of this journey
1: yeah, yeah, I think is that is a very tough one as well. Like you, <laughs> you do not have the budget to compete with a lot of other companies that's more established. Um, yeah. and it's an unknown company. You're trying something that has not been heard of in the market as well. So, um, so so I would say you attract a different breed of people. You attract people who wants want to really see things, um, and feel the impact when it's being rolled out be it, you know doing things on the ground or be developing like like coding and so on right building the platform so um like in a in a bigger company as obviously more things are established which means that you have bigger teams um and the things that you develop and the things that you do might be a lot more um um minor or rather it rather doesn't represent the entire picture but it represent a part of the the, the system right so um, but when it comes to the startup environment, is very different. When you're starting up, um, you are pretty much doing almost everything. So you have the benefit of seeing the impact of your work um, being reflected almost very quickly, just because you do something right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more things that you do right, the the more fulfillment, more achievement that you can see, right. So I think that's what that was one of the biggest uh, pull factor on convincing people to join us. Provided mm-hmm. with the opportunity that this company will go on to become really huge, it provides you that recognition as you continue to build your team. You can really thrive and 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 you know finally get to the same point of or probably even more rewards, more lucrative rewards um, compared to you just stick to a, a big corporate. So okay. the the yeah the pitch would be slightly different in the sense where um, it's impact driven rather than mm-hmm. um, the security. Yeah
0: yeah yeah what of all things a startup can offer, security is is not always one of them. You already referenced kind of how many startups actually make it all the way down the journey, but you can certainly do the impact of being able to see what you what what you're what you're causing into the organization as as you've grown as you've had added headcount has there been any struggles of finding sufficient talent here in Malaysia?
1: Malaysia always had good talent. Yeah, mm-hmm. so Malaysia talent is one of the best, and if you travel around, you meet different people. Um, I've met so many Malaysians that are helming, you know, very influential positions in almost in different fields. Now, the, the 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 problem that we face is, you know, um, uh, most of the time, Malaysian lack the exposure of, you know, going to the other markets to experience what is the change, how do they how do they operate differently. Um, and I think that's, that is one of the biggest difference, right? Where I, I even see myself, you know, when I was working in Malaysia, yes, I have one or two chance to, to travel abroad to have meetings, but only until I started custom, then I start to expose myself to the, the, how things are being operated in some of the other different markets and what kind of learnings I can capture over there. So Mm -hmm. those exposure helps a lot. Um, and that's where I felt Malaysia talent are great, but they need more exposure. So, That's one of the the things that I always also pitch to the the employees within the business and incoming ones, is that you're able to provide the exposure, and it helps you level up, and you don't even have to really travel abroad, because we are already doing regional work, and we have captured the learnings along the process, and now that we can transfer that knowledge to you, which is going to be even more uh, impactful.
0: Yeah, I would I would definitely echo that exact sentiment. I think that the that there's a there's a lot of very strong talented entrepreneurs and talents across the board in Malaysia. Out of curiosity, what, one one more question, and then I'm going to move to the Q and A here. If you were to give a piece of advice to a startup founder that is just getting started out, what piece of advice would you offer? <sighs> Yeah,
1: there's, yeah, there's a lot that's important, to be honest. Um, but I, I guess, um, I'm, I'm probably the least likely person that you would imagine to be, uh, a custom found, a custom CEO, right? Um, and, or founded a company like custom. So there's a lot more people that you would imagine that with better track record, um, you know, better background to be able to get this done. So I think having that, that perseverance is going to be very important. Um, the perseverance that keeps you moving and keeps you finding uh, improvement uh, um, um, solutions to tackle some of the things that you are, you are facing on a daily basis, be it on a business, be, be it on uh, marketing, be it on something else. Um, I think that relentless pursuit of trying to solve problems is something that's extremely key to to, to be an entrepreneur in this process.
0: Okay. Okay. Now I'm going to jump over here to some of the uh, Q&A that's that's come in. And uh, the one here on the top of the list is, were there any issues with regulations as you were getting ready to go or entering into other country markets?
1: Um, Yeah, there there are oftentimes some regulations uh, uh, issue involved when we are expanding because we do not know what's the, the, the thing that, uh, the, the local regulations or the environment looks like or operate, right? So, so we have took some learning from the early days. Um, and of course, from there, we start to, um, understand that we require professional consultant, uh, uh, to help in certain aspects so that we are more well prepared when it comes to, um, you know, opening a new market, uh, a new city, even, um, and one of the things that associate with that, right. To make us comply with the regulation. So that's something that's important in order to really seek that advice so that mm-hmm. it doesn't really pull you back when it comes to, you know, doing what you want to do.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, here, here's here's another one that's 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 top of the list. So when when talking about how ideas are great, but it's certainly the execution. There is some intellectual property around the ideas, whether it's the brand, whether it's processes, whether it's some of the technology that's backing how you're operating. How do, how do you go about trying to protect that and amplify uh, the value out of the IP that you create?
1: Yeah, I mean, of course, this process where you could. Um, you know, trademark, uh, and, and that's how you usually like, pro- pro- um, you know, protect your ideas. Um, but to me, the best way is still to be able to, you know, keep improving and, and keep being the best rather, um, in providing that technology. Um, so I think that's what we learned in, in custom, right? That nothing can be, uh, everything can be replicated. And everything can be done um, and keep improving. So I, I believe in order for us to, you know, protect the idea well, that the the only way is actually to be the best in it. Uh that which means you need to keep improvising, you need to keep reinventing the wheel, um, and adding that helps you to build the mode instead.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, a couple of more quick questions here. I, I realize that we're, we're, we're at about the time, time mark. So ho- uh, please let me know if you have to jump for another call, but th- here's a question that's asking, Have has Carson ever faced a near death situation? Uh, you always hear this startups experience these near death. If you have, if uh, you haven't succeeded until you, until you were on the brink of death, has Carson experienced that sort of situation?
1: Yep. Um recently, like in recent years, not really, um, uh, because we're a lot more established, right? So it's, it's hardly a near-death. Um, but in the earlier years, like first maybe the first three years, yes, there's always a lot of this near-death situation. And what are these near-death situations is um does the company have enough cash to survive uh the, the next couple of months or so? Um, and I think those those things are scary, of course, and and that's why we did everything that we could to make sure that we don't go back to that situation. Um, and um, um, I think it's just really having enough scenarios, having plan to to uh, alternatives, right? How are you going to overcome it if that's just say when it comes to that time um, you you do not have the flexibility to to continue? Um, how do you activate the next plan to be able to conserve cash and so on, right? So um i think that the plans need to be conceptualized in a sense where you are prepared for different type of scenario uh which would help in you know salvaging yourself from a near death situation
0: okay okay i'm gonna i'm gonna take two more of these questions cuz i know that we're 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 out of time um i guess the first one is was Carson the first name that you came up with <laughs> Yeah. uh <laughs> um, there's there's always the question around like coming up with the name and putting it out there and then what what uh, do like, I
1: do? Yeah. I hope you like the name Carson, but uh you know it's it's interesting, right? We we actually thought of a few names and in that process Carson was one of it, but it wasn't our first choice and we didn't have a first choice either. Uh so we just step on it and think, okay, let's just keep thinking uh and see what other names we can come up. Um but after three days, you know, the, the only name sticks is Carson. Mm-hmm. And it was very fortunate as well that when we searched for this domain name, it's still there for all the countries they we were in, uh, barring one. But eventually, we got it. So, so that's important because without a domain name, it becomes almost it, <laughs> you can't do much, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, I think that's that's one of the reasons we managed to pick it in the end.
0: Okay okay and the last question here uh, is do you how what what are your thoughts on partnerships or bundling of services with either other companies channel services your own services in order to create kind of value added bundles
1: yeah for sure if you look at the last many months to years we always run collaboration we announce it um we we do always believe in partnership uh we 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 believe in an open ecosystem that you know everyone can play a part. Um, and I think for us, is our core business is on the uh, supply to distribution. um there's a lot of game and upside we can partner with other players to provide better services. So yeah we do that.
0: Okay, fantastic, fantastic. My apologies to those who have questions in the Q&A that have not quite been answered, but we are out of time here. Eric, I want to give you a big thank you for coming on and sharing the story. I'm sure everyone that's in the audience has uh, gathered a lot of very valuable information and kind of uh, moved away the curtain into what was what was behind kind of the launch of of Carsim and the process that you went through in order to to build it to what it is today the the multinational large company that it is uh, so thank you very much um, and with that I want to thank everyone here for attending uh, I do want to remind everyone that we are currently open for applications for Founder Institute. If anyone has any questions related to Founder Institute, please contact either myself or my colleagues. Uh, you can catch me at kevin at indelible.vc or you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Again, if you have any want to learn any more information about Founder Institute, you can go to FI.co. Eric, thank you very much again. This has been fantastic.
1: Yep. Thank you. And uh, good luck to everyone. I hope to also be able to share more in the future. Yeah. Have a good evening.
0: Okay. Thank you, everyone. All right. That wraps it up for another fantastic episode of the sea of startups. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend Go on to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. It's the best way for us to get discovered and to have these startup stories reach a broader audience. If you have any suggestions or would like to get in touch, you can email me at kevin at indelible.vc. As always, I'm your host, Kevin Brocklin from Indelible Ventures, and this is The Sea of Startups.